0: to Youth Positively Speaking's new show, Action to Avoid Opioid Addiction. My name is Paige Ewing and I work at Prevention Resources as the Multimedia Specialist for Positive Youth. Prevention Resources is a nonprofit located in New Jersey that is dedicated to promoting health and wellness of individuals, families, and community through education, collaboration, advocacy, and treatment. Today, my host is Megan Moore, the Project Coordinator of the Partnership for Health Drug-Free Task Force, and you might see her camera's off. We've been having a little bit of technical difficulties this morning, um, but we are still happy to have her as an audio guest. So welcome to the podcast, Megan.
1: Thank you, Paige, and welcome, Dr. Barter.
0: Yes, so we are very excited to be hosting this new show on our platform. Um, And it's really here to help educate and inform the public about the opioid epidemic, the alternatives to opioids, and educate the public on a bill called the No Pain Act. Um, And we're working with Voices for Non-Opiod Choices to educate and advocate for healthy communities through these non opioid choices. So we're really excited to have Dr. Barter with us today um, because she is a doctor here in Hunterdon County to really talk to us about what it's like for patients. Um, Do they have access to those alternatives? What does that look like? What are the challenges that you have as a provider? Um, So we're really, really excited to have you here, Dr. Barter. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for inviting me. So I think that might be a good place to start of like as a healthcare provider, what are some of the barriers and challenges that you have when it comes to prescribing alternatives for patients who might want them or need them? Oh, I can come up with a lot of them. So
2: (laughs) be prepared, hold on. Um, So looking at non-prescription, you know, prescriptions, essentially. So like physical therapy, for a lot of people, they have like maybe a $40 copay every single time they go see the physical therapist, and not everybody can afford that. So then they stop going to physical therapy, and that doesn't help to decrease their pain. When you look at other things like chiropractor, I have a woman who was on opioids, got pregnant, got off of the opioids, started to see a chiropractor, and the insurance told her she has a 30-visit lifetime limit so she saw them regular during her pregnancy has not been on opiates, does not want to go back on of them but at some point she's going to run out of her benefits of being able to go see the chiropractor that has really helped her maintain not being on opioids. Um, Some other things that often aren't covered by insurance are like mindfulness-based stress reduction, Um, so that's often a fairly hefty fee besides the time commitment that it takes, but if we can help people learn alternatives to managing pain and stress, then they're less likely to feel the need to be on opioids. Also, if you look at other complementary and alternative treatments like Reiki, massage, Chinese herbal medicines. One, there's not very, you know, a lot of places don't have a lot of those providers around. Patients don't know about them. And the majority of time, insurances don't cover that. And so again, that's just a few of the non-prescription alternatives to opioids that can be an incredible adjunct, whether you're on opioids and trying to get somebody off or whether we're trying to keep somebody from even starting on opioids. Opioids are often made worse um, or opioid use is uh, collaborates with um, depression, mental health, anxiety, and it is really tough to get to see mental health providers. Um, So the wait time to get into one in the pandemic has made that (laughs) millions times worse because so many people have anxiety and depression. and, And fortunately, there's a little less of a stigma about seeing a therapist than there used to be. But if you can't get through the door, you can't get a call back, you can't get that started, then you don't get those other support systems. And often, if we're looking at trying to help people with addiction, mental health counseling and therapy is such a huge piece of that so Mm -hmm. somehow if you know insurance is recognized because in the past mental health and primary care were very separated and they didn't talk to each other and so you know not being able to access those records and and then the pay for mental health um is severely lacking as far as, you know, a lot of people don't want to become a mental health uh, care provider because of the long hours and not adequate pay for what they're doing. And so um, a lot of places are losing their mental health providers because there's some large corporations that are now doing virtual telehealth and a lot of the local mental health providers are now going to these large national companies that pay better. So Mm -hmm. there's less of them here locally. When you also look at um, opioid addiction, we need to think about it as like a chronic condition. And there's a stigma attached with it because if somebody has diabetes and for some reason they didn't take their medicine that day, which happens all the time, most people Mm -hmm. don't take their medicines every day. You know, if somebody's prescribed an antibiotic, a large percentage of people don't finish them. Um, You know, if somebody's told, take Advil, you know, three times a day for seven days. Most people don't do it for that length of time. But so if a patient has diabetes and they don't take their diabetes medicines, we don't discharge them from the practice. But if somebody's on opioids and they didn't take it that day and we do a urine drug screen on them and it doesn't have it in them, they are completely discharged from the practice. So they're likely then to doctor shop to find what other doctor can I get this from or go buy something on the street or heroin's cheap. Um, yeah. And so that often leads to other addictions because our system treats it not as a chronic condition like we do every other chronic condition. So, you know, some of the attitudes and behaviors need to change to really think as, you know, if somebody is on opioids, it is a chronic condition. And then, really, what is the chronic condition that got them there in the first place? And what else can we do? Mm-hmm. So then when we start looking at medication treatments, I have to jump through all kinds of hoops to maybe get somebody a prescription for what's called a lidoderm patch. It's a patch that has numbing medicine and that they can put right where the pain is so they don't need to take a systemic pill, like an opioid. But the the patch is a bit more expensive and so insurances won't cover it, but I can give somebody as many opioids as I want to Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't cost them or the patient very much and they can go pick that up. Um, some of the things that have become over-the-counter now, like Voltaren cream, which is an anti-inflammatory cream, it's not cheap to buy a tube of it, but now that it's over-the-counter, most insurances don't cover it. So yeah. if you're not financially independently wealthy, um, and if your insurance doesn't cover it, then that becomes less of an option for you. When you look at other, medica- or other treatments, like durogesic patch yes it is a fentanyl but it's in a patch and it's released over 72 hours so there's a lower less or lower chance of addictive potential with it because with opioids you get a high peak of an effect and then it gets out of your system when it's out of your system people particularly if you've built up a tolerance have withdrawal symptoms and feel really bad so there's this incredible incentive for your body to take another one and then you feel better and then you feel bad and then you take another one and then you continue to build up that tolerance and the need to take more. So when you have a continuous dose of the medicine over 72 hours that doesn't have those peaks and troughs, then there's a lower potential for addiction with that patch. Yes, fentanyl has been used inappropriately and there's ways that, you know, it's not mm-hmm. safe. So not that I'm supporting everybody should have access to fentanyl in any way shape or form, but there's got to be alternatives. You know, you look at medical marijuana and, you know, that's very different than recreational marijuana. And I don't want to sound like I'm supporting everybody should do that. But medical marijuana has less um, side effects and addictive potential as compared to the opioids, which again, are covered by insurance. And I can give people a whole bunch of opioids at a very low cost. And so, you know, when you start looking at some of the other social determinants of health can you get to some place where you can you know if you do have access to medical marijuana that's not very available in a lot of places here locally um, but also just thinking about transportation if you can't go to a provider get to a chiropractor acupuncture much less as if it's covered get to your provider on a regular basis so um appropriately, I think, we have put in guidelines if somebody is on opioids, they need to come to the office at least a minimum of every three months. It may be every month. Um, we need to you know, have a controlled substance agreement with them. We need to have um, a urine drug screen on a regular basis. Well, if their transportation isn't easy and in a very rural county, that mm-hmm. can be a real barrier. So if they can't get to your office, um, then that makes it a little harder to maintain that relationship. And in the past, providers said, no show, you're done. Um, And and so we need to look at that. Um, Other medications, um, Suboxone, which has been shown to help people um, refrain from using opioids, there's all kinds of barriers put in place for providers to prescribe that. So, you know, my feeling is if I can prescribe opioids and Narcan, why can't I prescribe suboxone as a treatment for the opioid addiction to help people not be on the opioids? And so, you know, you have to get an X waiver. There's been expectations in the past that you had counseling readily available, and we don't all control that access. And so, you know, if the medical system as a larger whole could really think about what support needs to happen in like a primary care office so that all primary care providers look at this at the same way that we prescribe diabetes medicine or hypertension medicine, that we should all be doing it because if we have the capability and are willing to prescribe opioids, we should be able and willing to help somebody be off of opioids. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, can we look at is there a way to have somebody in the office that helps navigate some of those other complementary and alternative providers or mental health support or just making sure what are the barriers to getting somebody into the office on a regular basis? Um, And some of those pieces of support, I think would really help primary care providers increase the likelihood that they're going to um, manage opioid addiction and medication access um, treatment so that way folks are less likely than to go back to opioids or go to other kind of substance on the street that's cheap mm-hmm. um
0: and i and i do want to say because just what you're saying you know this whole we have to look at healthcare differently on the entire spectrum of you know, you're just a day-to-day person who has a little bit of pain, you've had post-surgical pain, maybe you've been on opioids for a long time, but for, you know, an absolutely valid reason of chronic pain, or maybe you've been on opioids for a short amount of time and now you've developed, you know, substance use disorder because of that. Um, You know, there are so many reasons why we should allow people to have access to alternatives because it just means that they get to choose what they wanna do to be healthy. Um, and, you know, I think that this goes back to our conversation with Chris Fox. There is a time and place for opioids, isn't there? There is. Um, and so, you know, opioids, if they're used
2: to keep somebody independent, functioning and maintaining their life, they have a, a purpose and a reason and they can be very beneficial when it becomes they start escalating use you know, as long as we've made sure there's not a reason that their pain has gotten worse, like, you know, they had a fracture that we didn't know about that their pain is Mm -hmm. worse in addition to their chronic pain. But when it becomes the sole thing that they're thinking about and, you know, using more and getting it from other people, then that's when that substance use disorder needs to really be addressed. And if we can't intervene early on, then that's when it escalates. And if we don't have alternatives, instead of maybe increasing the dose of the opioids, let's also try acupuncture. Let's Mm -hmm. try this pain patch, you know, the lidoderm patch. Let's try getting you to massage therapy. Then hopefully we don't need to escalate the use of the opioids And they can still be functioning and being engaged with their family, because when you stop being able to do many of your activities, that's very isolating Mm -hmm. and can be very depressing, and that increases mental health concerns um, that can actually make pain worse.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think we're in this unique time that stress, anxiety, and depression are at an all-time high because you know we're recording this in October of 2021. We're still in the plate of COVID-19, and so that's very prevalent. And I know that you know now people have been at home for such a long time; they aren't living healthy, active lifestyles as maybe they used to because they're afraid to go outside, um, and so that can lead to different pain issues um, that you know, not having the alternatives and their doctor just saying, okay, well here's this pill to try and help, you know um, it's limiting for the patient care.
2: And I also think people are feeling much more lonely and isolated. And so without a social support for a lot of people, oh, you get together with friends and you feel better and, you know, those endorphins are released and then, you know, you're not thinking about the pain as much. But when we're not outside, you know, when we're not socializing, whether it's inside or outside near as much, that isolation and then for a lot of folks that have any kind of substance use disorder, you they can really um, lose their social support. People get tired, so they're maybe not willing to take them to the doctor's office because, yeah, been there, done that, and it hasn't made any difference. Why? Well, you got to figure it out yourself. And so where is that empathy for folks that are struggling to try to decrease their opioid use?
0: hmm
1: Dr. Barter, you had mentioned, you know, talked about alternatives, Reiki, uh, massage, acupuncture. How receptive are your patients to alternatives? Is that something they kind of think like, gosh, if only we could get insurance to cover this, I'd really like to participate It Are they kind of more traditional? Like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about that.
2: Um, I and mean, I have both, but probably more and more patients are using complementary alternative medicines and some of them in the past have been a little leery about telling their provider because they're worried their provider wouldn't support it. And for a while in our office, we had an acupuncturist that would do it as a group. So she charged $25, um, regardless whether somebody had insurance, and she was filled Every time she was in our office and she was there twice a week and was looking and expanding and then she moved away. Um, And so we don't have that now. So a lot of our patients are trying to find where can they find affordable acupuncture because one patient was telling me she had to pay $250 each time that she went to see the acupuncturist and 25 dollars versus 250 dollars there's a huge difference there mm-hmm. and and so how can we get access to these that are either covered by the insurance but in answer to your que- question megan i have a huge number of patients that would love to access some of these different um, um interventions and modalities
1: Mm-hmm. And these are pretty expensive. I mean, a massage can be upwards of hundred dollars. If you need that weekly, that certainly adds up. So, you know, insurance not covering, it is certainly a significant barrier to getting treatment that people are looking for and really have been proven to be effective.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And we know when you have a relationship with a provider, whether that is the acupuncturist, the chiropractor, the primary care doc, the Reiki provider, people do better because we really are a lot based on that relationship and that you you feel good with that time spent in addition
0: to the therapy that's being provided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we talk about this whole big conversation about changing healthcare as it is today in the country, um, it can be a little intimidating. Um, you know, where do you even start? But I think, you know, a great place for patients to start is to ask their insurance companies what do i have available to me ask thing their providers what do i have available to me right now and then hoping that you know advocates and work will go through that things will get passed whether on the national level or within insurance companies to make those you know larger policy changes to Increase access, um, because I I think we've said it before in a previous podcast, we just want to give providers more tools in the toolbox. We're not taking away opioids, because like we said, there's a time and a place for them, but there's also a time and a place for all these other alternatives, and they're so incredibly needed, as you said, Dr. Barter. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that at
2: some point we can get it piece by piece. Um, you know, at least we do have more complementary alternative providers in the community than we used to have, and people are more aware of them. That still doesn't mean that they can afford to go see them if the insurance doesn't cover it. And it people are spending a lot of money to have insurance. And then if that's not provided within those benefits, then folks don't pursue it any further.
1: Hmm. Dr. Well, I... Barter, do you? Oh, I'm sorry, Paige. No, go ahead, Megan. Uh, do you ever see insurance companies care um, covering fitness centers? You know, to give patients a way to stay healthy, to get ahead of that, to hopefully not end up in a place where they need alternative medicines or opioids. Um, is that something you ever see with insurance companies? Um...
2: You know, there's a program called senior sneakers that there have been some insurance that are really focused on the senior population and trying to get them active because we know if people are active as they get more mature they're less likely to fall and break their hip. And some of those other things, I have not seen it in other populations necessarily, um, which we know that people when they're active, again those endorphins release they feel You know, mental health is better as well as physically, the muscles, when a muscle's stronger and more flexible, the less prone it is to injury and the less prone you are to chronic musculoskeletal pain. And that's not the only type of pain that opioids are used for, but it would be nice to see that in a more comprehensive approach from insurances.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's kind of encouraging to know that at least one age group in some cases have something like that, um, because it's a good jumping off point and being like, well, you prescribe it to, you know, our older communities let's prescribe it for everybody. Let's allow access for everybody. Um, And that's really what we're trying to do with this podcast is show where the limitations are and increase access for both providers and patients so that they have access to whatever care that they need to live a healthier and happier lifestyle.
2: Um, Just another access to care point that I had forgot to mention was often access access to pain management. Um, If, you know, we start something and we're not able to manage as a primary care provider, we often want to get them to pain management and it's hard to get through the door. And for a lot of people that's listed as a procedure and specialty um, service. And so there's a much larger copay for that. So it's often difficult to get Somebody through the door to get other ideas or thoughts of, okay, what else have have I not thought of that might help? you know if there's like a um, uh, epidural injection in the back that I may not do that may help somebody, can we get you know a stimulator unit? But again, if somebody can't get through the door or can't afford the copay for the specialist, then those are less likely to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I just want to say thank you so much, Dr. Barter from coming on, telling us about, you know, so many different limitations that you all have, but also the possibilities that are in the future. And of course, thank you, Megan, for coming on and for representing the Drug-Free Task Force on the podcast. And thank you to our listeners. If you all feel passionately about the topics we've spoken about, we encourage you to use things like drug disposal boxes to dispose of your unused, unwanted, expired medications, to ask your prescriber for things like alternatives if you are experiencing pain, and then even educate your state legislature members on things that are coming down the line in your state and nationally. And of course, for more information about the No Pain Act, please visit nonopioidchoices.org for more information about opioids and our init- for our initiative, um, please visit our website, njprevent.com. And we wanna thank you for listening in. We'll see you next time for
1: more youth positively speaking about actions to avoid opioid addiction.